Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bridgestone, your journey, our passion. And by Dow Automotive Systems, improving durability and increasing design flexibility with Betamate structural adhesives at DowBetamate.com. Electric race cars take to the streets. All-wheel steering is making something of a comeback and how long it takes for the Hellcat engine to suck all the air out of a room. But now let's get to the news. We've been reporting on this for nearly two years and it finally happened this weekend. Formula E, the electric race car series, held its first race in Beijing. Sounding something like loud slot cars, the Formula E racers put on a pretty good show, including a very scary looking accident at the last turn that fortunately did not result in any injuries. The race was about 50 miles long and took 52 minutes to run. But because the 800-pound battery pack cannot go the full distance, the drivers had to pull into the pits halfway through the race, jump out of one car, and into another. Despite having a reported top speed of 137 miles an hour, the cars looked kind of slow going down the straights. Even so, there was enough action going on that we're intrigued enough to want to watch the next race. Okay, let's stand back for a moment and look at what's happening in Russia, China, and India. Thanks to its incursion into Crimea and eastern Ukraine and the economic sanctions that followed, the Russian car market is plummeting. Wards reports that sales in August dropped 26%. Year-to-date sales are down 12%. The Russian auto industry is getting clobbered and sales are expected to drop even further. China gets a lot of attention because of its booming car market, but now more automakers are starting to focus on India. The United Nations predicts that India's population will surpass China's by 2028. And IHS Automotive says its passenger car market will be the third largest by 2018, up from number six today. Now GM announced it's going to launch 40 new vehicles there and in other international markets, but that does not include China, North America, or Europe. Honda, which has fared better in India, is going to expand its operations there too. The Japanese automaker will build a new plant and is starting a second shift at one of its other plants as demand rises because last month, Honda sales in India were up 88%. Hey, is all-wheel steering starting to catch on again? The Acura TLX and Lexus RC are the latest cars to offer active all-wheel steer. That is, where the rear wheels are actively actuated rather than just turning slightly due to compliance in the suspension. With active AWS, the rear wheels can turn in an opposite direction to the front wheels. That's what they call counterphase. That can really reduce the turning radius of a vehicle. Or they can turn in the same direction what they call in-phase, and that can practically make a car feel like it's moving sideways when making lane changes at highway speeds. You know, back in the late 1980s and 90s, Honda and Mazda offered it on the Prelude and the 626, and about a decade ago, GM offered it on the Chevy Silverado and GMC Sierra. That gave those big trucks the same turning radius of a Honda Civic. All-wheel steer never caught on back then, but we're starting to see it appear on more cars these days and looks like it's in for something of a revival, at least in the luxury segment. Okay, it's time for another barn find. 
This one came courtesy of Juan Manuel Perez de Brand. It's a lotus that he spotted in the streets of Tokyo, Japan, but he wants to know if you can name the model. Just leave your guesses in the comments section below and we will reveal the answer later this week. And if you've got pictures for a car that you want to see in barn finds, just send them to viewermail at autoline.tv. Opel just pulled the wraps back on its new Vivero van. It'll be offered in two wheelbases as well as two different heights. There's up to three rows of seats with all kinds of loads variations, which lends to a maximum load volume of up to 8.6 cubic meters. Two diesel engines are offered, one of which is a bi-turbo. You know, with Ford and Ram bringing their European-style vans to the U.S., we wonder if the Vivero will end up wearing a Chevrolet bow tie. Prices for the van start at about 23,600 pounds. That's a little over $30,000. Hey, coming up next, a look at some of the ridiculously crazy stats of Dodge's Hellcat engine. Here's one of the great things about the all-around performance of our Dueler tires. Excellent traction. Do you need a ladder? Yes, I do. Okay. At Bridgestone, our passion for performance knows no bounds. On last week's Autoline After Hours, we had the head of engineering at SRT, Russ Rudicelli, bring one of his wicked Challenger Hellcats into the studio. While talking about the car, Russ dropped a few gems on just how crazy a 700 horsepower engine can be. It flows a ton of air. It, it flows 30,000 liters of air a minute. You can, <laughs> we, we did this little calculation. It'll clean, it'll, in, in a minute, it'll suck the air out of your office at, at Chrysler, you know? Um, so moving tons of air, and that made us do a lot of unique things to the car to get, get that much air um, into the car and, and working. Um, you know, one of the unique things is up at the front in the headlight there, um, that actually, that, that's a patented little thing. Um, that, that opening in the, in the inside lamp um, next to the SRT badge actually flows air right into the air box. So it's still a headlamp. It's still, it's, well, still, it's not. The, the it's, outside it's a, it's a circle of it is, correct, is correct. a daytime running light, correct. right? Lights okay. up. Um, but, you know, that was a perfect place to get nice, cool, clean air, and it feeds right into the airbags and then up into the supercharger. It looks fantastic. It looks really cool, yeah, that I, air intake. That was, that was one of those, those fun little things we got to do. That, That's like you know, a little racer trick, right? Well, it is, right? That, I mean, that comes back from, you know, racing at salt flats and stuff. Pull the headlamp out on one side and feed it right into the, mm. into the in induction system. So that, that supercharger has to require a serious amount of power to get moving, right? I mean, there's... You guys have to have yes. some fun calculations associated with that as well. Yeah, it, I think it's, I, th I remember the, the guys told me it's around 70 horsepower to run the thing <laughs> at, at fully rated power on the engine. So there's really more happening before it gets to the wheel. So it's really 777 I'm not, horsepower, I'm gonna, right? I'm not going to quote anything, but yes, that, that, is, that is correct. There's a lot more. You've got to drive that thing. So yeah, um, very, you know, it's, it's a neat design, very compact. There's two actual uh, coolers on either side of the supercharger. So as the air flows in, um, it goes over those intercoolers and, um, and cools the charge in. There's actually its own um, standalone water system to cool that. So separate from the, the engine cooling system, there's, a, there's a, a water circuit, a giant electric pump. It'll flow 11 gallons a minute at full oh, power. Geez. And, um, you know, the whole idea is to keep, keep the, ca the car at rated power and not have to derate and pull it back. Um, you know, everybody, all of us in, in building cars, um, have a lot of safety features in place. So if, if you get in a problem with too much heat or overheating things, we'll pull power out. 
Um, and so we wanted to avoid that you know, as much as possible. So um, when we did initial benchmarking, we found a lot of our customers, or our, our competition had, had struggled with that. You know, we'd go out at racetracks and things. And so we really sized the system to, uh, to avoid that. Also joining me for the show is my co-host Gary Vasilash and Chris Pockert from Autoblog. Anyway, that wraps up today's show. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you tomorrow.